Hey, everybody, this is Hayden, and you're getting ready to listen to part two of Equipment and Mobility with Leslie Todd. Originally, this was scheduled to be one podcast, but the conversation was so good and so rich that we just kept going. So you're getting ready to listen to part two. If you haven't heard part one, go back and tune in. It's fantastic. If you have, then stay tuned for part two. Here comes. Welcome to The Working Therapist with Hayden Bolick, a podcast designed to help you grow more, do more, and be more as a therapist. The Working Therapist is an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. We're glad you've joined us for today's podcast. So here's your host, Hayden Bolick. Do you work then, Leslie, with occupational speech therapists? Because, I mean, for me, usually I am dealing with like augmented communication equipment and how it's going to be mounted on the chair or something. But can you talk a little bit about if you work with OTs and speech people? I do. I do work with uh, OTs probably more than speech therapists. Usually my interaction with the speech therapist is in conjunction with the OT and PT saying exactly what you were just mentioning, an augcom device. And where I come in is how do we mount it to the wheelchair? Yeah. Or sometimes I've worked with PTs and then I think it feeds over to you, but maybe I might not be there when it's a feeding situation in the head and that kind of thing. Yep. So some positioning for that. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely right. We get a lot of that with the OT. I work with more OTs in the school system than Mm -hmm. I do in a private setting. Although there are a lot of OTs that do seating and mobility, you don't have to be specifically a PT to get equipment. So I do work with a lot of OTs. Yes. I can imagine that you would work with a lot of OTs, especially with seating and for like self-feeding. And I can think about all kinds of stuff. Mm -hmm. So you know, no pediatric session is never the same, but describe how a session would look. Like, you know, if you've, Kirsty, you've done some work in advance, why don't you talk about that a little bit and then, you know, how the actual session looks and then what happens afterwards. So, Kirsty, why don't you kind of start us off? Describe how a session would look with somebody who's a mobility expert. So, if I am working with a child, I'm going to identify a need. There's so many different pieces of equipment. I mean, <laughs> even from a very young age, they may need a bath chair. And oh, so yeah. then it's our job as a therapist because we're trying to incorporate what we're doing into everyday life. So now you're getting into families' everyday routines and they might not even ask for a piece of equipment because they don't know. So then it's like, well, how are you getting them from there to there? Or how are you doing this? Or how are you doing this? And then if we're like, oh, that's not safe or yeah, how is that for you? Is that yeah. is that difficult? You know? The child is starting to put on more weight. How's your back doing? <laughs> yeah. So then we start seeing where the need is. And from there, we can start, and this is not in one session. This is over the course of sessions to kind of where is that parent at with accepting this? How are we doing with bringing equipment in? Have we brought anything into trial with them? You know, maybe borrowing a piece of equipment from the center, different seating devices or standers, just depending on where the family's at. And once they are ready to have the vendor come in, that's where then we'll reach out and make the phone call and schedule a time where we can all be together because it's going to take all of us, not just us saying, oh yeah, hey, Leslie, by the way, go to this house on Tuesday at two. Let me know how it goes. (laughs) (laughs) Those are the difficult ones. Yeah. Really? Does that happen? It does. What my preference is to always be with the therapist and the family. Now, if I've met with the family and the therapist before with the child, then I'm comfortable going to the home because I know what the expectations are. Right. 
and I know where we're going. Yes, this can work. No, it can't. Mm -hmm. But to send me out by myself, it's against my standard of practice, number one. However, I don't think your outcome is going to be as good as it could be. Because remember I said, I know where my line is professionally. I mean, I have a lot of experience, but I also know that I don't know all that I should know. And that's why you're the clinician and I'm the wheelchair guy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, don't underestimate the wheelchair guy because the wheelchair guy knows some stuff. (laughs) So hold up. So then you do all that, you know, you have a rapport established with the family. Here's the underlying message I heard from all that was you're asking questions. So you're really treating the whole child and understanding, hey, this is what happens at bath time. This is what happens in the classroom or whatever it is. And you're getting all the information about the child and then figuring out where you see the need. Yeah. Because yep. as a PT, we're not working at mealtime. I mean, that's more going to be occupational therapy or mm-hmm. a speech therapist coming in. But if I'm like, where do they eat? I don't see anything that they sit in. What, what do you feed them in? Right. And then they're going, oh, well, I just hold them on my lap. I'm like, oh, well, that could be a problem. <laughs> and, yeah. You know, and often oh. in your clinics, when I come, I am meeting with both the PT and the OT for that exact reason that Kirsty mentioned. It's mm-hmm. We're talking about just the mobility device, but also what's going on in the bathroom, what's going on you know, for feeding and that sort of thing. So you know, evaluations take usually, depending on how much equipment and how much talking needs to be done to get to a point, about an hour, hour and a half is usually about what it takes to kind of work through everything because I'm going to ask a lot of questions and I don't want to be... The guy that says, well, this is what you need, and that's the only answer. Because I don't think that's best for the families or the clinician or Mm -hmm. me either. I think the best thing is to understand what our options are, understand what the pros and cons of each are, and eliminate them and understand the variables of why we're making decisions. When we all make the decision together, I think the outcome is obviously better. But also, it involves the family. And sometimes you have to drag the families in. Yeah, this is important. We need your input here. And then everybody is bought into the piece of equipment and it gets used as intended is probably the better way to say it. Sometimes I've noticed with families too, I mean, you know, sometimes you're so into the here and now and right this minute. So like the example that Kirsty used about, oh, well, I hold them when I feed them. So you're so into the here and now of this is what I got to do for this child today that you can't sometimes even take a step back and look at the, oh, well, okay, they're four and I hold them when I feed them. But when they go to school next year, I'm not going to be there at lunch. It's almost like you're so just like almost so in the here and now you don't even think, oh, I guess this child should be in something so they can eat later because you're day to day. I think the best thing that a therapist can do when it comes to introducing a family to equipment is to have the conversations. You can't make a family choose, you know, you need this. Look at your back. Because the family will ultimately decide they're going to want something when they can't do whatever they've been doing any longer, and then they're going to be ready. But what you don't want them to say is, well, I never knew about that. I didn't know I had opportunity to do something like this. I think that's what makes, you know, you were talking about the here and now, plan of care, short-term goals, long-term goals, helping a family understand that, hey, these are decisions that we're going to be making the next foreseeable future. Here's yeah. what your options are. Nobody says you got to make them today, but it's nice to know. Yeah. Then you can kind of start preparing emotionally. Yeah. Oh man, we are going to have to have a wheelchair or we are going to need a bath chair. I just always thought I would hold them. You know, People get to different places at different times. So you've got to have that trust and that relationship. And so, Leslie, when you come in on a session, so parents ready, therapist ready, child's there, everybody, hey, here we are, and you come in, what do you do first? Like, how do you approach the session? Well, I mean, I introduce myself, obviously, <laughs> first. And um... yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they just found me on the street and invited me, and I thought it'd be fun. It looked like well, a nice place. <laughs> I'm looking to establish yeah. a relationship yeah. as well. Yeah, exactly. I know that whatever I say, 
I'm the stranger in the room. Yeah, yeah. So I need to start developing a relationship. And the quickest way I can build trust, in my mind, I'm just getting to know the family. Depending on how strong the therapist is in equipment, you know, I may follow their lead or I see that I need to lead kind of thing to get the ball going in the direction that I was called there for. So I'm working on building a relationship with the customer. Help me, how can I help you? Here's what we can do. How can I help you? Yeah, here's some options. And just kind of let this conversation flow and then gradually work into the next piece of equipment. That's the case. I typically don't like to always bring up multiple pieces of equipment unless Kirstie or the other therapists have done that prior to. I think it looks better when it comes from the clinician than it does come from an ATP. Because a stranger coming in that sells product, (laughs) maybe they think, well, he's just trying to sell me something. I don't want to be that guy. Right. I want to be a resource. I want to be helpful. And I want to have a trustworthy relationship with everybody. So typically, I'm going to follow the therapist's lead on that. Or we'll have a conversation before. Have you considered this? Yes, we've talked about it. No, we haven't. Okay, well, we won't go there. Right. Yeah, you're right. I can see how that would be a little awkward. They're trying to sell me something. I was just going to add to that, you know, sometimes we have those families that maybe they're not on board or maybe they don't understand how this is going to make an impact on their daily lives. But you know what? They're really excited about picking out the color of that chair. (laughs) This is true. (laughs) It is. And so they don't have an understanding of maybe all the pros and cons. And we're going to work with them through that. And that's why we're there. But they are really excited about picking out purple. And I'm like, you know what? If that's what's going to excite them right now and that's going to get them on board, I am like, okay, we got one thing. Let's go with it. Hey, you know. I'm excited too. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you got to start where people are. Yeah, absolutely. Yep, exactly. And it might be the color. (laughs) I like purple. There you go. Bring it on. So then after the session's over with, is that when you write up a letter of medical necessity, Kiersey, or you've already had that done prior to? Well, do you want Kiersey's way or like the the other way? (laughs) (laughs) Give me the way it's supposed to be done. Typically, then... They will go back to the office, write mm-hmm. up the quote, individualize all the parts coming on that piece of equipment, and then we'll get that for a review to go through and write and itemize the letter mm-hmm. of medical necessity and justify each individual piece. So the PT has to really understand, because Leslie's the one who's given you the itemized cost list, that kind of thing. Yes, ma'am. But okay. in our session, mm-hmm. I'm not going to double work. I'm going to work smart. I'm not going to work harder. I'm going to work smarter. So in that session, I've got my paper out and I'm saying, and Leslie, what's that? Okay. Yeah. I'm writing that down. Mm-hmm. And what are we doing that for? Okay. Got that. Got that. Next. What, what piece? Okay. Got that. <laughs> so, and then I just have to take my chicken scratch back and put it on a Kirstie's really the one that's leading the evaluation. The clinician's the one that's leading the evaluation of mm-hmm. why we are doing what we're doing, but I know how the chair is built. So mm-hmm. all these little parts she's talking about, why am I doing that? She's already told me why we're doing it, but I'm telling her it takes this bracket, you know, mm-hmm. this seat hardware to attach the cushion that we decided would be the best option mm-hmm. to position their pelvis to attach it to the wheelchair frame. So that's where the LMN can get kind of crazy, you know. How do you stay current in all that? I can just imagine just talking about different brackets. How do you stay current? Well, I do it all day long, every day. Yeah, yeah, that would (laughs) probably help. But I think most of it is, you know, a seat cushion is a seat cushion. There's only one justification for it in terms of that client's need. There's Mm -hmm. seat hardware. Whether it's this bracket or that bracket, it's still seat hardware. Mm -hmm. So the justification for seat hardware is the same, no matter what type it is. What changes on the justification is a particular style of cushion 
or a particular type of back or a particular type of wheelchair base versus another one. And that's where Kirsty's clinical skills and the trial of the equipment come into play. We're choosing this base for this reason. We're not choosing this one because they weren't able to do this or it wasn't able to meet their needs in this manner. It was too heavy or I wasn't able to get the wheels in the proper position so they could access them. Or they need a folding frame because mom has a Toyota Corolla. Yeah, that's right. Mm. <laughs> that's right. Or we need a tilting space frame because they have poor trunk control and head control. That's why I can't use a non-tilting frame. I love when we have the demos. So like, let's say they do have that Toyota Corolla and I'm like, well, let's go try and pack this in the trunk. Show mom how to take it apart you know, get everything off, put it back together. Yes, she can do it. Cause then I can write in my letter, we tried it. We put it in the trunk. It worked. We're good to go. And I think there's another whole podcast on how to write a letter of medical necessity. Are there any like high point takeaways in terms of like, this makes a good one? Well, I think what you have to do is you have to tie everything back to the customer. Mm. Everything that you're choosing has to be for a clinical need that addresses their MRADOs, mobility related activities of daily living. If it's anything other than, well, the family just wants the light-up wheels because that's what they want, there's no clinical justification for that. So we're not going to get that funded through insurance. Right. Everything has to be tied back to the particular need of the customer. Has there been, been a time when insurance will pay for light-up wheels? Is that just automatic, not going to get paid? There used to be a time when they had an allowable that covered that, but mm-hmm. today the allowable, it doesn't cover it. So sometimes a vendor, they can just do it if there's enough margin in the chair and things of that nature, they can do that, but it's not always the case. And I think you have to be careful with how you do those sorts of things because you don't want to set yourself up to be discriminating. So it's the same for everybody. So what's upcoming for technology in the world of mobility? What's up and coming? You know, that's a great question. (laughs) The technology is there to have some really fantastic products. Mm-hmm. What is in the Stone Ages is the insurance, the funding for it. But I would tell you things that make chairs lighter and stronger. Everybody's heard of carbon fiber for a long, long time, but now they're starting to play with it more readily in wheelchair frames, but the cost is still astronomical. The different types of aluminum or titanium in the frames, the geometry of the frame designs. So I would say, and from the manual side of things, you know, the materials, and in the power wheelchair side of things, it's how the chairs do what they do, so how they tilt, how they recline, so when the user is using them, they can maintain a certain body position, because typically there would be some shearing involved, or just the general physics of how things move. They're becoming more and more refined with how they maintain from seated position to a more laid out position, suspensions on the wheelchairs, cosmetically products today are a lot more appealing than they were even five years ago. So things are less institutionalized looking. And like Kirsty was saying, they're offering more colors that are, to be quite honest with you, we should probably start every evaluation. What color? Here's the colors. Yeah. Because family, (laughs) I mean, you automatically get, they get excited about that and they realize, oh, this is not so bad because I can have pink or purple or blue or You know, I can have light-up wheels or whatever the case may be. There's options for that. And today, as funding is shrinking, those options are still available, but families are having to either raise alternative funds or Mm. pay, you know, privately for them. So there's lots of things going on out there, but the challenge is 
what can we get covered by the insurance? To me, things look significantly less clunky. I mean, you know, yeah. it used to a long time ago, they looked a, lot, a standard would be very clunky and take yeah. up tons of space. And nowadays, it's more functional. You know, so when I'm working with a child in the center or whatever, the standard used to be, okay, like, everybody back away, here it comes. You know, yeah. now it's just like, oh, yeah, let's just scoot you right on. It's refined. It. And I think, too, the other thing that's happening is I think the ATPs and the clinicians are getting better at what they're doing. Mm. There's more information and there's more tools at their disposal. I know for me, when I build a wheelchair, I really like to build it with the least amount of stuff on it as possible. I really want to see Susie or Johnny or whoever it is and only put on the chair what is absolutely necessary for their function. And sometimes that can be a kind of a challenge because, you know, we seat for a couple different reasons. You know, the primary ones being for function, Mm -hmm. for comfort, and for postural management. So sometimes those all go together really good. Sometimes, you know, you got one that's pushing harder than the other. So you may not be able to make it as sleek and refined as you would like, but it's absolutely true. So the materials, the refinement and how they're designed, and they got a lot of smart people. When we go to these different trade shows or we meet with manufacturers, we go to the facilities and we see how they're doing things, there's a lot of smart people working in this industry and they have a lot more tools and resources available too because they've, you know, it's it's evolved. It's not some guy in the shop that built this wheelchair because his daughter had cerebral palsy, you know, if they can fit a whole computer inside a smartphone, surely they can sure. jazz up a wheelchair. Yeah. yeah. Well, now there's actually interfaces in power wheelchairs for Bluetooth module, for iPhone interfacing, Android-based devices, mouse emulators. There's all types of drive mechanisms, so you don't have to drive with your typical joystick. You can, right. you know, yeah. the old standard is, you know, what they call a straw or a sip and puff. You can drive your chair with your mouth or a head array, mm. lots of proximity switches. There's all kinds of things that's out there, but technology's there. So you just have to ask the right questions and give the right info and really problem solve to yeah. figure out the right Somebody combination. Somebody like uh, Kirsty, who's resourceful and is going to ask you those questions. To get the right result. You can explore and you can say, yep, that's available or no, it's not. Or it's available, but your insurance doesn't cover it. How can we get it? Yeah, it's just not okay to say, well, that's good enough. That's right. Yeah. Never. <laughs> yeah, that would push Kirsty's buttons big time. <laughs> that ain't gonna work for her. That will not work for her. I tell you what happens when you have a clinician, and I, I know I'm backing up and going I'm all over the place here, but when you work with a clinician that is driven to find a solution, it makes everybody better. It makes the family more engaged, it makes the ATP better, it makes herself better and the clinic that she's in better because people are around that and they're gonna say, Well, man, if they can get that, why can't I figure that out? You know, so all of a sudden people communicate. It does make everybody better. Yeah, exactly. And so, Leslie and Kirsty, what would you advice do you have for therapists who maybe they don't have a Leslie to work with kind of deal or whatever? What advice do you give to therapists to find somebody they can work with? Well, I would tell you, like Kirsty did, you just got to keep trying them mm-hmm. until you find one. I think that the best ATPs, in my view, are the ones that have good technical skills. Mm. They know how to turn the wrench. They also know how to communicate. I think they have the heart of a teacher. So when you go there, you can't just say, well, this is your only option or this is why this works. I mean, I don't know why it worked, but this works. Yeah. <laughs> I never was good at that. I always had to know the why part. So yes. I think if you can find an ATP that has the heart of a teacher, has good technical skills, you can have good rapport with, who you can have a challenging conversation in a respectful, professional manner. Right. And ultimately, the outcome is good. And that, you know, when you call him, he's not going to leave you hanging out on the end of the line. He's always going to be there to be a resource. He's Mm going to do what he says he's going to do or she. And somebody that just really cares about the customer. Because ultimately, that's what you're doing this for. Mm -hmm. You're doing this because you want to help people. Mm -hmm. What skill set do I bring to the table that can help? 
Yeah, that's fantastic. I don't know what else to add to that. Do you, Kirsty? I don't. I don't. Um, <laughs> that's I, what we're all about. Oh, I have one thing to add. <laughs> okay, good. So <laughs> this is really critical today, I think. Mm-hmm. So the industry is moving towards, just like you all have a licensure, we have credentials that we have as well. And there's really two you need to really consider. At minimum, you need to work with somebody who has the ATP credential. That stands for Assistive Technology Professional. It's an examination you have to take and pass, and then it requires you to have continuing education to keep the credential. But that is more of a broad credential, assistive technology. So Mm -hmm. uh, whether it's wheelchair standards, assistive technology, you know, augmented communication uh, devices, that sort of thing. And then there is a more advanced credential, which is called the SMS or the Seating and Mobility Specialist credential. Mm -hmm. That is the credential that is more refined to wheelchairs, standards, gait trainers, seating and positioning, obviously. That's a more in-depth one, more specialized one. From a PT and OT perspective, that's probably the guy or girl that you want to find that has that credential. Same thing, you got to have the continuing education. But just like in any field, we're not all created equal. Just because you can pass a test doesn't mean you always have the, for lack of a better phrase, bedside manner or or a skill set. I mean, it means you have the smarts, but you know just as well as Mm -hmm. anyone that it's all about all those other things I talked about. The whole package has got to go together. And the company that they work for, too, to be quite frank. So if they have more resources behind them, and good people behind them, that should translate at the eval. So if, even though your business is equipment and fitting equipment to people and making that work and all that, it's still all about the people first, oh, not absolutely. about the equipment. And so if you skip over the people, which is what Kirsten and I talk about all the time, is, you know, to quote Jim Collins in the book, Good to Great, it's all about the who and then the what, but it all comes back to the who. If you don't have the right people and wanting to help and do the right thing, you still never get the right result. Absolutely, it's about the right people. And you can apply this to any area of your life. And you know, my dad used to tell me this growing up, you can put the same tool in a master craftsman's hand, yep. and then in my hand, who's going to make the beautiful piece of furniture, right? Right. I mean, I could probably make one, <laughs> but it ain't going to look like that. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. So it is all about the people. Yeah. It absolutely is. And this too, because you're you're talking about, you know, positioning or putting a child into something, but this child is somebody's most special person. Absolutely. And they want the best thing for their child, so they want the A game. They want all the questions asked. They want all the things explored because they're expecting whoever it is to bring their A-game and do it. I think that's what being a professional is, is bringing your A-game every time, every time, even when you don't feel good or you don't feel like it or the family may be a little more difficult than you would like. Yep, That's what being a professional is about. It is, every time. It's really what these children demand just because that's what is needed. So you got to do it. Yep. So how about for you, Leslie, what's your future look like? What are you excited about? I'm at this point in my career... I have a lot of confidence in what I've done and what I'm doing now in terms of if I get it right or not, I at least know when I get it wrong, you know, now. <laughs> yeah. Well, that didn't work out. Yeah. <laughs> and you, know, you grow in a sense that you know how to, well, I don't want to do it that way anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm not scared to ask questions and uh, growing. I just, you know, I'm not scared to think outside the box now, whereas before, you know, you'd be so intimidated because some families and some clinicians can, you know, they can be intimidating. And, you know, if you're younger or newer and you don't know all that you think that you know, mm-hmm. but now I'm comfortable and growing and learning. I'm not scared. If I don't know the answer, I'm going to tell you, I don't know that. 
Yeah. I don't know how that works. I might ask, you know, sometimes I'll be working with a clinician and a child will have a certain diagnosis and I won't know what it is or I've never had any experience with it. So I have to say right there, you know, I'm not really sure. How does that, what's the prognosis of that? How does that translate mobility wise? Sure. So I think the future is good picking people that I work with. I don't always get to pick that, but I tell you, when you find good ones that you want to keep going back. That's exciting. You kind of, yeah. I think like one thing you said in there, I think, you know, the longer you practice and working with kids and people in every capacity, if you can identify what you did wrong faster, there's a certain amount of success in that. Like, you know, like, okay, I'm getting better at identifying where I'm screwing it up. You know, but it doesn't take me as long to figure that out anymore. Yeah, you know? and no, I saw a diagram one time and it, it, it basically it was the picture of success. <laughs> and on this picture, it was two pictures actually. And on the first one, it said what people think success looks like. So imagine a square box and it was an arrow drawn from the bottom left corner, a straight arrow, all the way to the top right-hand corner of the square. Ah. That's what people think success looks like. Right. The next box was a picture of reality, which is what it really looks like. And if you can imagine in a square box, the line starting in the lower left corner and then circles and squiggly lines in all different <laughs> directions, just basically like scribbled. Yes. That's what success looks like uh, pointing up. Eventually, you're going to get there. Yeah. So maybe I don't have to have as many pieces of the puzzle put together now as I used to before I go, oh, that didn't work, or I don't want to do right. that again, or that worked. You know, you're able to extrapolate more. And I think that's what experience teaches you and working with good partners that can help you piece the puzzle together in ways that you didn't think. And, you know, when you have good professional brains working together, you know, you think of things differently. And it's fun to work with people that are excited about anything. I don't care. It's like going to a uh, concert and watching a talented musician. You know, you don't have to like their particular music, but just watching them do what they do with enthusiasm and passion and that sort of thing. That's what's fun about doing this industry is working with people that are that way because mm-hmm. I want to be that. Yeah, exactly. And I think these little people we serve and stuff, you have to be passionate about it. Yeah. You have to be passionate about it. You don't have to always have the right answer, but you have to be passionate about it and keep showing back up and keep trying, yeah. especially in equipment. Because I guess what I've learned from this today is, you know, you may not have all the answers, but like Kirstie was saying, if you've got something there to demo and try, you keep showing back up, you keep trying with that passion, you'll get the right answer. But as we wrap this up, today. Is there anything we've missed? When I started, obviously it was when Leslie was with a different company and we followed them through all of this change. But I can remember specifically (laughs) when he would come to me and say, you know, this isn't going to be my territory anymore, but I've got this new guy coming in and he's going to take care of you. And at first I'd be like, Mm, I don't know about that. <laughs> not going to work for me. I don't know about that. <laughs> it's not going to work for me. <laughs> um, but have been like with Jeff and Drew. And I think I have so much confidence in Leslie that I know he's worked with good people and trained good people mm-hmm. and it shows. And so that's one of those things that I just wanted to add that to. Like, I know you're still a resource for them too, because I can remember working with Jeff when he was new and he'd be like, I don't know that. I'm going to go ask Leslie. Let's call <laughs> Leslie. I'm like, yeah, let's call him. <laughs> <laughs> He's not going to get all the hooks so easy. Who does he think he is? <laughs> this is his territory, whatever. Yeah. Let's call him. <laughs> I love it. That's awesome. You know, when you would come to me and you would say, hey, this is 
isn't my territory anymore. I got somebody new coming in. I'd be like, uh, I don't know. Is he going to make it? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the hardest part about this industry is it's always evolving and yeah. changing. I mean, yeah. it's, if yeah. it's the same tomorrow, I'll be surprised. Yeah, I think that's in private practice. I tell people this, you know, you have to accept a certain amount of change. You know, when insurance changes the rules, we have to change. That's the way it is. And with that, though, is opportunity as I see it because then you have opportunity to try to figure this thing out a different way. And when the insurance rule change, sometimes it closes some doors, but then some other doors open, but you have to figure out where the opportunity lies at that point. And even though that can be a challenge and sometimes difficult, it's still in private practice. I feel like you have the most opportunity to make the biggest impact the fastest. A lot of our new therapists, when they come on, equipment is not something that they get a lot of in school. They've had some exposure to it. And so I always joke and I'm like, oh, you got a PT degree. You didn't know you needed an engineering degree, right? (laughs) Because you do. (laughs) So, And I have actually, for Christmas presents, there are therapists that have gotten like a set of wrenches from me. (laughs) I love that. Because I'm like super practical at gift giving. (laughs) And I'm like, well, here, you're you're just going to need these. You better like face the facts. So I just joke with them. They're going to be an engineer. They're going to have to, you know, adjust equipment. Obviously, when they don't know, they're going to call you all. But what are some resources that you can recommend I know you're so good about reaching out to me if you're like, hey, this looks like a really great class that they're putting on. Mm. You know, you've given some in Greensboro and down at the beach, but are there anything that you really recommend strongly that new therapists kind of look into? That's a great question. As the industry has changed, we've realized on the clinical side of things, everybody's amount of resources or dollars for continuing education are like almost non-existent and the amount of days off they get is non-existent. So uh, New Motion has been really trying to develop programs that we can mm-hmm. offer for little to no cost, but also that kind of meet what we feel like in the particular area that we're working in, the clinician's knowledge base. Mm-hmm. So early on, the things that you went to, Kirsty, when I was talking to you about the new fairs, which mm-hmm. is typically a one-day type event where we get everybody together, all the manufacturers get together, invite clinicians from all over, and we have speakers that talk on particular topics all related Mm -hmm. to seating and positioning or, you know, equipment devices and that sort of thing and receive continuing education credits. It's evolving. Mm -hmm. Maybe early on they were very basic and maybe they're going to start tailoring them to offer different skill levels, I guess is the right way to say that. So you have a new grad that's never had any experience about equipment. This is a track you could do, a more intermediate track and then a more advanced track. And they're looking to do that in regions. They kind of have the map divided up in regions and they will do one a year And we're in the process now sort of figuring out how can we, if everybody can't get to those one day, how can we supplement that throughout the year? So things like in-services are probably one of the least costly and most effective ways to do it. You know, you have a vendor come in. I'd never heard about, you know, this type of gate training. Can you come in and do an in-service for me? Yes. Wheelchair guys love to do that stuff because we want to get in front of you because obviously we have services and that's how we make our living. But also we feel like we can be great resources for you give you tools to help you and your clients reach your goals. And I would think that the other thing is on our website, they offer webinars on demand. And then also they have some that are only one time and you got to be online to experience it or what have you. But there are all sorts of things. So whether you do adults or pediatrics, you know, if you go to our website, there's education resource tab and then be on the lookout for seminars that come around your way. Nothing beats the relationship with the clinician and the vendor. Mm -hmm. You're going to learn more from doing and touching and feeling than you are sitting in a classroom. At least I was that way. I'm not good at mm-hmm. hearing it. I got to do it. I think you just basically gave permission to the to the therapist out there to call their wheelchair guy. 
Absolutely. You have to say, hey, because you just said they don't mind. No, I would love the call. Call, yeah. yeah. Come on down and bring a wheelchair with yeah, you. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and a wrench. Yep. Apparently. Yep. <laughs> so yep. On our website at www.pediatricdt.com, we can link over to your website, the, the new motion, because the layout of the website is really nice. It's easy to find the education resources and that kind of thing and like the webinars and stuff. And, you know, I have to say the one great thing about new motion being nationwide now mm-hmm. is especially this area being Fayetteville, military town, people transition to all over. So chances are we have a facility wherever people are transitioning to. So the continuity of care can remain the same. And I noticed also on your website, the way you've divided the state, or it, for North Carolina at least, and I'm sure in every other state, have you divided into different regions so you can find your contact people per yes. region? And mm-hmm. so it makes it really easy to yeah. locate your people that would be responsible Absolutely. for your area. Yeah. And there's a 800 number. So if that's confusing or whatever, they can just call the number and they can get routed to the people that they need to talk to. Yeah, you make it pretty easy. Yeah. So if you're a therapist who's out there and want to learn a lot about equipment, because Kirstie and I do hear that from sometimes from new grad, I really like to learn more about equipment. And Kirstie has said multiple, multiple times, well, you just have to just do it, like yeah. you're saying, but then also use those resources that are out there. So as we wrap up this podcast, anything we may have missed? You know, equipment is so expensive. We said thousands and thousands of dollars, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the things, because I have a relationship with the family, so when they're getting a new piece of equipment, not like, hey, I want that when you're done, but I'm always like, when your child outgrows it, mm. like, don't forget about the people that helped you get that. Because <laughs> don't ever throw it away. Like, you don't have to give it back to us, but we'd be happy to help find somebody else that could use it. Yeah. And this stuff is so expensive. You can repurpose it or maybe part or something. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, CDC type facilities, you know, mm-hmm. and then families that have no funding. Right. That's a great comment. Well, thank you, Leslie. I really appreciate you being here. Yes, thank ma'am. you so much. Thank you for this having awesome. me. And thank you, Kirsty. I appreciate it. This was fantastic. Thank you. Tons of good information. So thanks, everybody, for listening. And I'll catch you next time on another episode of The Working Therapist. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Working Therapist, an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. If you would like more information regarding this podcast or would like to get in touch with us for any reason, visit us on the web at www.pediatricdt.com. That's pediatricdt.com. 